Welcome to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, and this podcast is your guide to start creating a lifestyle by design. From entrepreneurship, money and finance, taxes and residencies, and everything in between, this show highlights the nuances of a true global citizen lifestyle. Let's dive in. In today's episode, I have guest Olivia Parks on. This is an interview that you do not want to miss out on. She has built an amazing online business at such a young age. She is entrepreneur and fractional COO for dozens of online businesses, ranging from half a million to $10 million per year in revenue. She started her first business at 19 during her university career in the UK. After struggling to get clients, she paid the best person she knew to mentor her in sales, which took her across the world to San Diego. After being a sales rep and seeing a lot of visionary entrepreneurs struggle with their backend operations, she stepped in to help her boss, doubled their revenue, and then became COO. Since then, she's moved to Chicago, created her own operations consultancy, where she works with entrepreneurs to help them implement systems, build a team that takes the CEO out of the day-to-day and creates a truly scalable business for her clients. Olivia also teaches other service providers her proven process to find five-figure clients on Upwork. We dive into Upwork. We dive into creating a business for yourself online, creating something that you are truly passionate about. And of course, we also talk about travel, her experiences, and the differences that she sees in the culture from the UK to the US, and where her business has taken her throughout her traveling journey. This is an episode you do not want to miss out on. She is very successful at such a young age and really nailed down and figured out what she needed to have a successful business in an area that she was truly passionate about. Let's dive right in. You are going to get so much from this episode. Let's get into it. Olivia, welcome to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. I am so interested in diving into your story, your business, your journey, your travels, what everything has looked like with you today. But before we dive in, why don't you start by telling us a little bit more about your story, where you started, and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, thank you so much, Nicole. Thanks for having me on. So my story really started when I was in college. Right. So I was in college. I had just even before college, it kind of started. I lost my dad when I was 17. And that was like a really big wake up call for me because I've kind of been going down this typical path of like, you know, do amazing in school, go to college, like get a good job, like all of that. I was going down that path and I still went to university, but I was really kind of ruminating on what the hell should I do with my life once my dad passed? It was really a big wake-up call for me of how I was spending my time. And so while I was in college, I started thinking, like, am I really going to make the type of money I want, live the kind of life I want with what I'm doing here right now? And I went to UCL in London, if anyone knows it. It's 
one of the top 10 colleges in the world. And then I was there and I'm like, I had a science degree. So I was like, I can either become a scientist or I can go into investment banking and maybe in 10 years, I'll make 500K a year once I've like sold my soul to climb the corporate ladder. And I was just like, that does not sit right with me at all. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start a business now. I was lucky that my, my stepdad is an entrepreneur and I'd kind of been exposed to like business ideas. And it always been kind of like a long-term thing in the back of my mind that I was going to do. I was like, you know what? Why wait? Like, just do it now. And so I still stayed in college and I finished my degree, but I started my first two businesses in my second year of university. I did. I started an e-commerce store. I actually did like a YouTube automation channel thing for a bit. Then I started a Facebook ads agency. And then the ads agency was when things started to change. Not that I even got clients for the ad agency. It was the fact that I couldn't get clients that made things change. Because I had spent a lot of money on hiring mentors and like buying programs, like getting sucked into that whole like make money online type of thing. And I still couldn't. I bought this like, what do you call it? Like a course on how to start a marketing agency. And it all taught about cold calling, like how to get clients and stuff like that. And so I was doing it. I was doing the strategies, but like I felt this like gut-wrenching fear and just awfulness every time I cold called someone. I was like, this is not a good feeling. But I had a friend who was in like the online world at the same time and he was amazing at sales. And I called him up and I was like, who taught you sales? I need to figure this stuff out because... I'm running out of money. And he put me in contact with his mentor, who was this dude who lived in San Diego. And I had a call with this guy. I joined his program. And then I just used my student loan to pay him to coach me. And I ended up getting like really good at sales. And he was like, do you want to like work with me? And I think it's important to know, like in the beginning, I worked for him for free. I just wanted experience. I wanted, like, he really knew what he was doing. He knew a lot of people in the online industry. He had made millions of dollars online. I was like, I'm just going to work for you for free. And so I did for a few months. And then he wanted to pay me because I was proving to be so useful. It's just important to note that because now, like, I should probably speak from a different point now. I'm like, yeah, charge your worth. You need to charge what it's worth. And 100% you do. But you also have to meet yourself where you're at. If you're just starting, if you're just starting and you have skills to leverage, then yeah, charge people. But if you don't really have any real skills and you're just figuring your way through it, if you can get a good opportunity and then prove your worth, like that you're always going to be able to get your foot. So just a little tangent there. But yeah, so I worked with him for a while. I did sales for him. And then he was just not good at what came after the sale. He had a sales training recruiting agency. He was really good at teaching people sales, but like the whole backend operations of his business were a complete mess. He didn't have a super huge business at the time. He only had like one or two other people on the team working there aside from me, but he'd been a sales rep for over a decade and used to be a consultant training up sales teams and stuff like that. But now he decided to start this business and he just didn't know what he was doing really after the back end. And it's funny for me to say that because like I just said, I don't have any experience. So how would I know what I was doing? But I was very systems minded and I could just see that there were so many inefficiencies going on in his business. So I just kind of stepped in, took over, became his operations manager, and then eventually became a COO after like a long time of doing all of the stuff. And 
it was a lot of work because I would work. He was in California. I was in the UK. So like 5 p.m. for me was 9 a.m. for him. So I'd start my day with him after I'd finish my university days. Yeah, it was crazy. But anyways, I, I, I helped him double his business in a year. And then I went out to San Diego, worked with him for a few months. Then I went to Miami for a bit. And then I was figuring out where I want to live in the States. And during that time, I decided to like shift and create my own operations consultancy, which is what I do now, fractional COO operations consultancy. And I also went to Mexico during this time. I went to Chicago and then like that's how I ended up, up in Chicago. Someone that I hired to work for the guy that I was working for and lived here in Chicago and I became best friends with her. So I came out here to visit her and then I was like, I don't live in Chicago. I love it here. And that was almost a year ago now since I've been in Chicago. And then I've just been here growing my business. Wow, that's amazing. What a journey. I love because I do the same thing on my journey. It's like when you look back at it and you're like, oh shit, I did all of this stuff and it's so amazing. But a lot of the time you only realize that when you tell your whole story. That happens to me when I go on podcast. Okay, so sale. I want to talk about sale because it sounds like you really got your start in online businesses and your experience through learning about sale. So how important would you say sales are to be the first piece when you are starting an online business? I know that's how you started. Is that the right place to start? And is that what has allowed you to scale your business as well? That's a really good question. So I think it really depends on your off and like how you see yourself growing a brand. Because if you asked me a year ago, maybe two years ago, I would have said yes, like 100% sales. Because if, if you, the way I think about it as well, and maybe it even is still true sales is the answer. But let's say you have no money in your bank account tomorrow. If you know how to do sales, you will never be broke. You can go out same day and generate some income, even if it's selling someone else's offer. And so having that skill set, like build a lot of self-trust in yourself because you can go out there and know you can always generate income. And so long as you can get in front of the right leads to leverage your skill set, you will always generate income. But the reason why I don't necessarily say 100% sales these days is because if you can be really good at marketing and building a personal brand, say off Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, and you know how to do copywriting and get people to buy from you without going on a sales call, then you don't necessarily need sales but it's still it's still sales and persuasion so anything to do with like marketing sales persuasion getting people interested in what you have to buy and converting that into an offer into a sale that's what you need to learn mm -hmm. totally agree and i feel like that is almost sales in a different form in like the online social media form your business what does that look like? I know you have scaled it to amazing numbers now, but what has the journey looked like in order for you to get to this point? And what were some of the hardships and struggles that you faced along the way? So in my own business now, I mean, so first of all, I was working as the operations manager and then COO for my mentor that I told you about. Then because I traveled so much, I was lucky to meet so many other entrepreneurs that needed my kind of help, right? I was fortunate to be in a position where I was traveling with him a lot. I made a lot of connections with entrepreneurs that were at the right level. Because 
if you're not making like 500k a million a year like there's only so much help i can really give you in regards to operations because you haven't solved your marketing and sales problem yet you know so there's that but i came across like people that actually needed my help so that helped me kind of get like a jump start i guess because i had people from my network that i could leverage into clients However, you know, there has been obviously difficult times. There'd be times in the beginning where I'm like, oh, was this a mistake? Should I just like have stayed an operations manager, COO for someone instead of turning it into my own business? Because the thing, even though I was good at sales and, and I did it for this guy, I think the, the struggle was it's like, it's so easy to sell someone else's offer if you believe in it. It's a lot harder to sell your own offer but even if you believe in it, because you're bringing all your own personal shit into it, you're bringing all your own feelings of like, is this good enough? Am I good enough? Do I even know what I'm doing? And like your own self-talk can really take over and it becomes so much harder to execute on your own stuff than if you're doing it for someone else. And I think that's why you see it even like you see social media managers that don't post on social media, but they have a bunch of clients, you know, it's because they're overthinking their own stuff usually. I had my personal brand. I actually had like a big personal brand on Instagram and my Instagram got, it got hacked and taken down, which was a blow to the business for sure. And I couldn't get it back even after I like verified my identity and everything. So I had to look for alternative ways to generate an income. And so I'm looking for these higher level business owners that are not necessarily going to be the ones in their inbox responding to me on Facebook or Instagram, like the typical methods. What can I do? And that's when I got into because I think a lot of people think, oh, it's just like cheap freelancing jobs. But it's actually not. Like I've signed $6,000 a month retainers from Upwork like multiple times since I've been using it properly. So that definitely generated like a con consistent stream of high-level business owners to my business. I recommend anyone to really try it out. Like I actually have a program on it you guys can look at if you want to but now I think I'm in a good place because it's the thing is about like building a business is you've got to have you you can't just think about now like you've got to think about the longevity so if you only have like one lead generation system what's to say that that can't be taken down I don't want you to run your business from a fearful standpoint and always be thinking about oh what if this happens what if that happens but it's it's just about being smart is why you should always collect people's emails because what's to say the social media network goes down for a couple of weeks. If you have emails, you can still make money, right? So you have to be smart and you have to think about your business as having these different, a pyramid almost, and you've got to have like the right foundations. So many things I want to dive into there, but first, what are the right foundations? So you mentioned that pyramid. For you, what would you say do some of those proper foundations, I mean, I'm sure it changes at every stage, but to at least get your foot in the door in your business and be making a solid income, what does that look like? So it looks like having a high value skill set. I would say that's the first one because unless you're going to go and you need a skill set to leverage into either doing consulting for people, like carrying out a service for people or turning your service into knowledge that you can productize and sell as like low ticket offers or a course, right? So no one 
I don't think people listening to this podcast are necessarily going to be trying to come up with the next Tesla or some tech thing that when you need VC funding for. Maybe you do. But I'm just talking about, you know, to make good money online. What is the first thing you need? You need a high leverage skill set. If you don't have one yet, go and look at what these skills are. It's sales. It's copywriting. It's personal branding, you know, marketing, stuff like I do, like systems and operations. It's all these types of things. Pick one that you think is most relevant to you and go and learn as much as you can about it and see if you can do it for people for free, right? If you don't already have experience in this, like get some case studies, get some testimonials. That's what you need as well, right? You need to have a skill set. You need to prove that you can do it successfully for people. And if you can't yet do it for them for free until you can, then you need to start with Like I know I've said you need multiple lead generation systems, but start with one. Don't try and do five at once. Start with one. And once that is consistently proven to get you clients, move on to the second one and keep that first one running. Because now you can probably hire someone to start doing that first one for you and you just get on the sales calls. Right. That's what I would say. High leverage skill set. You know, having case study proven off. And then if you need to think about like how scalable do you want it to be? Right. If you're so involved in delivering the service, you need to be able to turn it into like something scalable. So you need a scalable off and you need a lead generation system that convert, can get attract people, convert them to clients. And then you need to move on to the next one. So I'd say they're like the basic foundations. But then going from there, that's when it becomes more about your systems and operations. I think it's interesting, too, that you mention about the scalability. And I personally find that that's something that a lot of people forget because you get so wrapped up in this is what I want to do and it's going to be great. And I I love doing this. It's going to be so much fun. Well, that's great. But if only you can scale it, how scalable is that really? And so I think thinking in the long term is something that is so important. I know you mentioned that too, but can often be overlooked, especially in the beginning of your journey. And then you build and grow something and it's like, oh shit, I can't really scale this. That's so true. Because especially people that are going from the nine to five world into the first, you know, being a freelancer, being a consultant, whatever, generating your first money online. It's kind of the mindset, oh, like if I can just get three or four clients that pay me like 2,000, 3,000 a month, then I'll be fine. Then you get there and realize you can do that. But now you're stuck doing all of the work and you've built everything around you. But you need to be thinking, this is what I do. This is what I'm thinking all the time. It's like whenever I do anything in my business, I'm turning it into a SOP. So a standard operating procedure process. And I'm thinking, how can someone else do this for me eventually? And if I don't have to do it more than once, I never will. Like I'll pass it off. That's what you need to think about. I love that. So do you have a a team who you can delegate like, okay, this SOP is marketing, so it's going to go to this team or this person or what does that look like for you? Yeah. So right now I have my assistant. She does like a lot. She carries out a lot of my SOPs, even to be on this podcast, right? I record the video, but she does everything else. She researches all the podcasts I'm going to be on. She sends the messages. Literally, all I have to do is show up for 30 minutes a week, record a bunch of videos and she sends them. I don't do anything else, right? So, and the next step of that is training someone to do the videos for me, which I'm already thinking about. That becomes harder to delegate, but it's definitely possible. 
it just becomes this is like something to think about as well is something even worth delegating just yet because i see a lot of people i see it with sales the most is like they have like three or four sales calls a week and they're like i need a sales rep i need to delegate sales and i'm like well if you do let's say you have four sales calls a week you close one so you're closing four deals a month is that really going to be enough for someone to make like a good income with you no you're going to get like a half part-time sales rep they're probably coming in and out they're not really committed you don't have a proper role for them yet so you kind of need to suck it up and keep doing it you're not really at the place to delegate for that yet and so it's like for me to hire someone because I don't have someone on my team right now that would be like dynamic and like animated enough to go and record these videos for me so I'm like does it really make sense for me to hire someone to do 30 minutes of podcast recording videos a week like no it's going to be too much effort to train them for like not even a role like it's 30 minutes a week so you need to think about that as well thank you for sharing that and I love that you have an assistant to kind of do it sounds like some of the more general things that aren't built out into a full role because yeah a lot of the times to build that out you know you need 20 30 40 hours whatever per week even in an online business and you know you don't have that so kind of what's the next best solution just have somebody help you with the here and there yeah because it's really going to be like as a starting out founder, entrepreneur, whatever, there's going to be like two or three main portions of what you need to delegate. There's like the things that you're doing that you think only you can do. But I'm going to tell you right now, probably 80% of that is admin work. And you're just say like sending podcasts. You think, oh, it's only me that can send the podcast. So then you keep the whole process. Whereas in you only need to do like 1% of that process and the rest of it can be done by someone else. So it's things like that. And then the rest of it's going to be your service. So the things that what you need to be thinking, if you're a service provider or freelancer, like every time you perform a service, it's probably very similar every time, even if there's nuances, like say with me, a lot of, with a lot of our clients, we set up automation systems and processes and stuff. The automations can differ that I set up between businesses. But the overall process of how I audit someone's systems, we come up with the workflow we're going to create, you know, build it into the business, create training of how their team's going to use it, et cetera. It's pretty standardized. So if I can give someone this framework and teach them how I think, then they can do it successfully. So you need to always be thinking about the fulfillment. And this is what a lot of people mess up as well as like, they're so hungry to scale their marketing and sales that they forget about systemizing their fulfillment. And then they're on this like treadmill of, oh, we've got too many clients. Like we have to shut down marketing and sales because we can't take on any more. Now we don't have enough clients and let's turn it back on. And then they're on this yo-yo. And it's like, well, if you just made your fulfillment scalable, you'd be okay. I have so many things I want to ask you, but I want to talk about Upwork, I know you mentioned you have an entire offer on it. So of course, if you want more detail, then that'll be linked below. Now, do most of your clients come from Upwork and then have become retainer clients? And what does a good strategy look like to get your foot in the door with a client on Upwork when there are so many other people competing for that position? That's the thing the I'd say one of the number one things that's helped me stand out on Upwork is the way I've written my profile in the beginning like I've written my profile like a sales page and I've had then this is why I also get so many inbound messages outside from the proposals that I submit because if I can design my Upwork to 
work for me even when I'm not working then I am winning right so I've designed it to be like a sales page so people come to me without me even doing anything but then when I do reach out to them they're like oh wow this girl is different from everyone else that just submitted me a portfolio because I've really laid out who is it that I and I can even link my profile if you guys want to look but I teach you how to do it in the course I really lay out like exactly who it is that I'm helping but like what problem I'm solving the pain points if you're thinking this this and this like you're for me basically and so I end up attracting those people really easily and so I'd say that's one of the biggest things second thing is when you're writing proposals for upwork jobs you have to personalize it you can't just send the same old generic shit as everyone else there's ways that you can systemize it to so you're only personalizing a little bit, but the personalization goes a really long way. You have to show how you've listened to the problem that they have. You understand it. You've helped people before with it and you can solve it. And I just really like Upwork because the people on there, they're already problem aware and they're ready to get a solution. If you're posting a job on Upwork, you know you've got an issue and you're willing to pay someone a solution for it, right? Which is like, means the sales cycle is way faster than on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, all these other things where most people are just interested and they're not ready to buy yet. So that's a great thing about Upwork. It's like you can get clients within a matter of days, which is so cool. And you don't need to have a bunch of reviews or a bunch of like past earnings on Upwork. I had zero when I started. And I still, even if you look on my Upwork profile, I don't even have that much now because I take the majority of payments off of Upwork. Most people pay me through Stripe, which is much better because the fees are way lower. And I think that's what put people off Upwork as well because it's like a 10% fee. And they're like, oh, I don't want that fee. Well, most clients don't really care to pay you on Upwork. They don't care. Some want to, but that's like 10% of them. So I'm curious before we dive into kind of the travel aspect of things, I have been talking to quite a few different experts on the podcast lately, and it makes me think because you mentioned, and of course, the people who you are reaching out to most of the time on any social platform like LinkedIn, I was talking about recently, uh, Instagram, any of those platforms are going to be a little bit colder. They maybe don't really have a problem or don't know that they need this person or this role. So do you do any of your networking connections and get potential clients from any of those platforms or... Is it mostly Upwork or is it just kind of organic maybe with SEO now? What does that look like for you? Yeah, so I mean, I definitely used to do Facebook and Instagram, especially before my Instagram got taken down. And with the first business that I was CEO for the sales and training one, that was all Facebook and Instagram. But now my main thing is Upwork and I'm recently starting LinkedIn. So, but that's more of a, that's a long-term game for me. I see that as a long-term thing. I'm just like very much in the beginning stages of building an audience on that. But it's awareness and interest, isn't it? And I know that that's going to be a long time, you know, relative before that like bears any results. And that's what you have to be okay with. You have to become detached from the outcome if you want to succeed as an entrepreneur. That's a great quote. Okay, so... Let's chat about your travel. So you're originally from the UK. You are now living in America. What has the journey looked like? You've traveled to many places as well during that time. So what has the journey looked like for you? And what made you want to make that move? Yeah, well, 
ever since, I don't know, like 17, 18, I was kind of like, yeah, I want to live in America. I don't know how, don't know why. This is even before I started my business. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to work there because it's really hard to get visas for jobs and all of this. I don't know how, but I want to go there. I was always so fascinated by American sports and I love barbecue. So I'm like, yeah, like, let's, let's go to America. And it was funny how it all just worked out. It's funny how when you set an intention, everything can just work out. Like when you set attention, you let go. And I'm like, wow, this person came into my life that lived in America. I managed to build a skill set and start my own business. And that allowed me to get a visa way faster than normal. That was that. Was that. But yeah, it's been a lot of like traveling back and forth for sure because this all kind of like happened during COVID as well. So when I first came out to America, it was like, it was during COVID. I had to go to Mexico for two weeks just to quarantine because they weren't even letting people in direct from the UK. So I just in Mexico by myself for two weeks in Tulum at this hotel slash, it was kind of like a working hotel as well. They would have co-working spaces and stuff like that. So I'd work in there and then, you know, go eat some tacos on the beach or something. And then I was in San Diego for three months. Then I came home. Then I went back. I went to Vegas. Then I went to Miami. Then I came back. I think I went to Dubai during this time as well. I went to Spain and then I moved here. I've always been a bit of a traveler. My family loves to travel. So I've been to a lot of places. And it's always been important to me to do something that allows me to travel to go where I want to go. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask, is that why you knew that you wanted to go into the online business space? I don't even, I don't think like travel was like top of mind of like, oh, I have to be an online business so I can travel. I think the online business thing just kind of happened by chance because in the UK, people are not as entrepreneur minded as they are in the US. There's way more entrepreneurs here. The way money is spent in the US, like way more money is spent in the US. People in the UK just, they don't even go out to eat as much. Simple things like that, right? So there's just a lot more transactions going on here. And so even in the early stages when I was learning about how to do an e-commerce store, like all of this stuff, it was all online stuff, but I was learning it all from Americans. So I was oh, I got to get over there and like learn what's going on. So I think that's how it just happened to be online. And it just kind of happened naturally, but I'm glad that it did. I think I always saw myself like doing things online. I guess I'm of the generation where everything is online. That's so interesting. I had no idea. I mean, I've spent very limited time in the UK, to be fair, but I had no idea the differences. I feel like when I think of Canada, America, UK, I'm from Canada. So it's very similar to the US, but it's slightly different in different ways. So I just kind of like group the UK into that. And I'm like, yeah, they have differences, but very similar. So that's very interesting to hear from you who has a very first person perspective on both of those countries. Are there any other stark differences in terms of business, travel, life, anything that you have really noticed? You were like, oh, wow, this is I was not expecting. I would say just like the the food, the ingredients in the food. Like, there's a lot of stuff that's banned in Europe that is just in all of the food here. And I'm like, ah, I can't, I can't get away from it. <laughs> 
but the food here does taste really good. So it's tough. Do you find that it's more difficult, maybe for that reason or like even for other reasons, to live a healthy lifestyle? Or does your body feel differently from that? I've been thinking about this a lot as well. I think like if you grew up in the States and like you don't even know any different, I think it is harder to live a healthy lifestyle because you're just being hit with all of these food, snacks, everything that is honestly just trying to get you addicted to it. It's crazy. When I walk down the cereal aisle and the sweets and the crisps aisle in the US, I'm like shocked. <laughs> but it really is like, it really kind of is like that. And if you go in the UK, it's like, yeah, there's people that eat unhealthy and people that are overweight and stuff, but it's just not on the same level. It's definitely harder to get a healthy meal here. Even in Chicago, the healthiest meal, like sweet green, is on like a healthy meal monopoly. I don't know if you have sweet green in Canada. It's like a healthy food like salads and like sweet potato and shit like that anyways it's like the only healthy thing that you can even get in a lot of places in the u.s i would say but it's probably not even in like more rural places and i'm like wow is that the only thing we're doing now it's so interesting because yeah i find even in in canada i feel like it does take over similar to america a little bit i haven't lived there in years but it's you know, anywhere I travel in Canada, America, really anywhere, it's so easy to get food that is unhealthy. It's cheap. It's easy. It's everywhere. And I'm just like, why is this increasingly becoming the narrative? You know, anyway, this is not like a food podcast, but <laughs> I find it's very interesting to hear your perspective. Where do you live now then? So I'm in Paraguay right now, actually. I travel full time. We're heading to Argentina in a few months, my partner and I. Um, but I have been nomadic. For about two years, I've lived outside of Canada for six years now. I have no plan on going back, but yeah, I really like kind of living in countries. So for me, and I'd be curious your perspective on this, and this has to do with travel. I find, you know, there are differences between the Western countries, Canada, America, UK, Australia. But when I think of them, it doesn't, it never really excite, excites me too much to visit another Western country because I know they're going to speak English or a combination of English and like Spanish or French or like whatever other language and similar food. Yes, different food. But like I know I can very easily get a hamburger or maybe fish and chips wherever I go. I don't know. It just there's something about it. It just doesn't really excite me. Whereas traveling to a country like Paraguay or we're going you know, to Argentina or we spent last summer in the Balkans in Europe. And I'm just like, this is all new. This culture is new. This food is new. The people are new. The traditions, the architecture. That's my perspective of it. But I'd be curious what yours is coming from the UK and wanting to live in America. Yeah, that's so true. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, I'm thinking about that now. I think for me, or at least when I like now, when I was younger, I think my perspective is changing as I get older. It's like I always wanted to go to places that are like, super modern or like doing things like super differently so like dubai i was always obsessed with dubai i don't know if you've ever been but it's like I'm like oh it's so cool it's like so modern and, but that has a very different culture than the uk and stuff so i was always intrigued by that and i think it is you know like as someone has who's from the uk and lives in america it's like they're similar on the surface because like the english speaking like there's some cultural similarities but like when you live in the both places like they're actually very different like the way the attitudes towards life are very different I would say and so like so interesting to observe that because like I think that it's so easy to think oh like they're the same because like we speak English and stuff but like 
it's the nuances that like make a huge difference. I do totally agree with that. I one of my really good friends is from the UK. And some of like the way that she thinks versus the way I think it could be very different on some topics, not all of them. But what have you found are some of those mindsets or like really big shifts that are different from your home culture to the culture you live in now? The one for sure is definitely attitudes towards work and like hustle culture, I guess. Like hustle culture is so much bigger in America. It's almost ingrained in everyone. You've got to work hard like a certain amount of hours i almost find it very counterproductive because i'm like well if you can build a system and find a smart way to do it then who cares how many hours you work but in the uk people are very much of the nine to five mentality like majority and i think that you know still majority of people are in the us but there's a bigger population so 20 percent of what 300 million is like more people than 20 percent of 60 million so there are just are more people that have that different mindset. So I think that's really interesting. But it's even it's even like the nine to fivers and the entrepreneurs in America, like everyone is like hustle mentality. So I think that that's very interesting. Like not everyone, because some people kind of like rewire the programming, but that's kind of the general programming here, I've noticed. And then... What else? I don't know. Like people disagree with me on this one, but I don't know if this is really like a mindset, but it's more like drinking culture. Like I'd say people in the UK drink more, which people find surprising because they're like, what? Do people drink more than the US? And I'm like, everywhere. I was so surprised. Yeah, because it's almost like there's like not a ton to do in the UK. So like people just party. I don't know. It gets cold. But I don't drink, like I haven't drank for over a year now. That's yeah. so interesting. I actually do kind of agree about the drinking. I mean, I think people drink a lot, especially younger people, like everywhere. But like when I went to the UK, I was like, so many pubs everywhere. And then I go to the pub and there's nothing to do but talk to people all night long. And I was like, I didn't even know these people because I was just visiting and they were friends of friends. And it was almost every night and I was so shocked but maybe you know that was my experience I'm sure people aren't doing that every single night and that was around Christmas time I shouldn't be like no I'm gonna be shocked like move me a surprise yeah but yeah one like important thing I wanted to end off for the hustle culture I find it very interesting because I think you're totally right of course I don't know what that looks like in the UK but even for me running my own business online I have to tell myself like stop take breaks like just because you don't have to work 10 hours a day to feel accomplished and I feel like it's I don't even know where it comes from maybe it's just so ingrained in our culture that you don't even know where it comes from because it's just always been there I don't know but I find it very interesting and lately I've been thinking a lot like why do I feel like I have to work long hours in my own business to feel accomplished when I know I can do things in two three hours a day and be done and still feel accomplished and be more accomplished than if I was just sitting at my computer aimlessly for 10 hours. But the mindset, I think, of just growing up in that culture is very interesting. Because it's almost like it's so generational, like it's been going on for generations that you're just kind of like born into it. And like the previous generations didn't even question it. So it's like to even stop thinking that way, it's like going against the tribe. And then it's those feelings of like rejection and we want to survive with the tribe ultimately. So it's like that hardwired DNA, it's even hard to go against it. But I think that people are slowly changing, at least like in some areas. So, 
you know, this hope. I totally agree. It's definitely like a shift that takes a while. Well, thank you for being here, Olivia. Where can people find you and your business online? So the best place to find me nowadays is probably going to be LinkedIn, but I will drop two links below for the Upwork program if you're interested in that, as well as a little training around operations and systems if you want to learn a bit more about how you can implement systems into your business. You've just listened to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. If anything from this episode resonated with you, I would appreciate if you share this podcast on your socials. And of course, be sure to tag me. And don't forget to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me on this global citizen journey, and I'll see you in the next episode.